Amen. Go ahead and transition right here. Thank you. Well, it's so good to be here, Journey, this morning, and I just want to welcome you guys. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and it is a privilege to be able to speak today. And I just want to tell you one thing is that I love the summers, and I know that it's one of those times where everybody's gone, everybody's at the beach, everybody's out, but this is the time that I love because we're able to do things we normally don't get to do. We get to do sermon series that we normally don't get to do. We're gonna be starting a new sermon series today called Pitfalls, and Pitfalls is something very simple. Pitfalls are the things that we try to do in our own lives, the things that we come short up on, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is, is interesting because it is, um, for a lot of us, we think that it is just the book that you read and it's got these like one-liners and that is totally true. But beyond that, there is something special about Proverbs. If you kind of could break it down, it actually has one thing. It's the first nine chapters. Um, there is something very specific about hear my son as these, these ideas that there, there is teaching that takes place between a father and a son, and we're going to be looking at that this morning. We're going to be walking through this summer these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. And this is one of those things that I love. But if you would just look at our culture, we're all just looking for the next help, the next self-help. That is a $10 billion a year market. And it's like we're looking for the next we're longing for the next fix in our own lives. We're looking for the, the, the next thing to bring us happiness. We're looking for the next thing, the next plan, the next diet. And if we were to look at our culture, is this a snapshot? It's interesting because what you see is this right here, is that over 10%, 12% of the world's population would say that they have some sort of mental health diagnosis. That's over 700 million people. That's a lot of people. And there's this longing that takes place. And then just if you look at the ministry here at our own church and the things that I deal with on a weekly basis and the people that I'm able to interact with and the families that I'm able to talk to, let's just be honest. Let's be transparent this morning. There's a lot of hurt. There's a, there's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of frustrations. There's divorce. We see the epidemic of anxiety and mental health every single day. There's addictions. There is a longing for something more. Every time you turn on the TV, it seems like there is another person of faith that has let us down. There's another documentary series made on some religious leader, somebody of faith that has fallen short enough to where we were able to actually write, watch a whole binge, watch a whole series on somebody's failures. And so this summer, as we look at the idea of pitfalls, we all have them. We all have the areas that we simply, we come up short. Our people are looking for knowledge. Our people are looking for some information and that's exactly what the book of Proverbs has. If you, I, I don't know if any of y'all do this, but if you learn a new habit from Instagram or TikTok, you learn how to clean something, some life hack, how to get your shoes clean, 
a lot of times what you'll find is, I don't know if you've done this, but you'll try it and it just doesn't work. You're just like, I don't really know what's going on here, but I tried exactly what they're talking about. And you're starting to realize maybe this information is not the best information. Maybe this information is just to get views. And so the audience that we have, the things that we listen to, sometimes we're not getting the best advice. The book of Proverbs is exactly like that. It breaks down these life lessons that we can take. If you just type in the word wisdom into into Google, it's interesting, you get 689 million return. And then you find out that Google only scrapes about five to seven percent of the internet. So there's there's this vast amount of knowledge So we're all looking for this knowledge. We're all looking for this content. And we are in the information age. But what's interesting is, is that knowledge really is the lowest level of understanding. It's really, wisdom is what you do with that understanding. And so this morning, as we look at this this chapter one, we're gonna try to walk through this whole chapter today, which is pretty ambitious, I'm not gonna lie. And I want to just kind of introduce you to the book of Proverbs because a lot of times we just do a five-minute devotional and that's all we do with the book of Proverbs. But what we're going to try to do is systematically go through and see some of these pitfalls in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Let me just introduce you. This is written by King Solomon. If you know anything about King Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 3, he asked for wisdom. He asked that God would grant him to be the wisest person that ever lived. And the Bible tells us that that was actually granted to him, that that actually was brought to him. So he's a lot of things to say. And so this morning, what I would like for us to do is to turn off all the other sources and let's just look at God's word about the very issue about wisdom. So what we do with that, that knowledge, what we do with that wisdom That's gonna make all the difference in the world in our own lives. So if you know, Solomon wrote three different books. And a lot of theologians believe that when he was early in life, he wrote the Song of Songs. Song of Solomon for some people, depending on how your Bible has that translated. There's a lot of passion there's a lot of youthfulness in that book. If you know a lot of traditions, a lot of, a lot of people would not let their youth read the, the book of Song of Solomon before the age of 14. It's a little spicy. Some people think also, some, some theologians believe that at the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. When he had seen it all, and yet he had a better perspective of exactly what this life was about. And then middle age, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Through failures, experience, and living, he saw, he saw that he wasn't always gonna get it right. And Solomon was a broken person. But what you saw was is that he was able to tap into the very presence who God was and is. I just want to break up to you, just to give you just a little snapshot about the, the, whole, the whole book of Proverbs. So the first nine chapters are what we say, the hear my son lessons. 
10 times he actually uses the phrase, hear my son. So it's almost like he is talking between a dad and a son. But this can be applied in different things too. Does it just have to be, it's almost like someone that has knowledge and somebody that is just now figuring out how to live this life. The word naive, some translations use. Some use the word simple. It doesn't mean that you're dumb. That means that you are new to this world. But I find myself in the same category that even in the middle ages like I am, I still find the longing to get the basic things right. When I was in seminary, when I was in grad school years ago, I I, I remember this really pivotal moment in my own life. I remember driving down I-20 in Fort Worth, Texas, and I had had gone through four years of of undergrad, and then I was on year three of, of my master's. And because of all the other things in my life, I was really tired of it. I was just tired. I was working a 40-hour job. I was a youth pastor at the time. And on top of that, my father's health was not doing well. In my own life, I had to deal with all of these different things. But while I remember driving on I-20, and I remember there being an exit, and I thought, if I just exited here, I could turn around and go back home. I didn't really see the point of what I was doing. I didn't understand. I learned so much in seminary, I really did. But the reality was is that I was tired of it. I'd gone through school for so long. And because of all of my external surroundings, the wisdom that I had in my own heart was I needed to do this, but my mind was saying I need to go ahead and bail. Sometimes we have these huge things in our lives, these these things that are very important, and yet we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the right understanding, we're not listening to the right influences to be able to make those crucial decisions. Now, luckily, I kept going straight. I did not exit. But boy, I tell you, it was right there. I was was like, right, I almost just threw in the towel because I did not, I was in a place where I had clouded my judgment. Today, we want to ask the Lord for wisdom. So we make these decisions that would bring fullness to our life, that they wouldn't, we wouldn't find heartache. We wouldn't find our lives falling apart. So why is there a book of Proverbs? You know, in the book, you know, the, the, when you start a lot of movies, they don't tell you why you're watching this movie. You have to watch that and figure it out. Interesting enough, Solomon is going to give us, through the Holy Spirit, a glimpse into exactly why he's writing. So let's read in verse 1. It says, the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. See, Solomon gives us a solid here and tells us exactly what we're gonna gain from this book. We're gonna know, that is the hearing and understanding, so we can hear it then that's going to lead to receiving the application so that we can be formed. And then the third thing is in verse, verse 4, it's going to lead us 
to giving this knowledge away to someone else that doesn't. So it's the cyclical pattern that you see to know, to receive, and then to give. And in my own life, I know that there's been many times that I have gone through things that I have learned the hard way. I have learned so many things through my own failures, through my own experiences. He wants us to know this wisdom, to receive it, and then to give it. So this really just isn't about reading one time. This is an active conversation that we're going to have, a dialogue with the Holy Spirit today. Let's keep reading. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. What is he saying here? He's saying that you might have to read this more than once. This might be difficult, and there's going to be these riddles. That's exactly what a proverb is. A lot of times he'll say something in a very compact way that maybe you have to unpack. Maybe you have to even kind of think about and maybe decipher what exactly this little life scenario he's putting in. A lot of times I've found in my own life that if somebody just said it in the most plain way, I would, I would be like, okay, yeah, I know that. These riddles, these wise things that he says here, they can unpack something where I have to think about it and glean into it. And what will happen over time is, is that that will bring about life change. See, up until this point, the book of wisdom was really common in that day. Right? You had other cultures, like the Egyptians and Babylonians, that had their own wisdom. But that really does all change with verse seven. Verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, a lot of people think the word fear really just means respect. And while it does include that, it doesn't really stop there. Fear means to fear. That's probably not a good definition because it's not supposed to have its own word in there. But fear really means to fear. That's not the word that's used, that's just to mean to, to respect. The Hebrew word was a common word that we needed to fear. So why in the world would it be healthy that you fear God? Does that not seem very trauma-inducing in our culture? As, I'll just use a hot word that I hear a lot. If God just wanted us to just think about him in reverence, that's one thing. But that's not what you find throughout the Bible. Why is it good to be afraid of God? I'm going to tell you this morning that it is a healthy thing and it's a good thing. Throughout the Old Testament, when people saw the very presence of God or they went into the Holy of Holies, there was fear, there was trembling. Whenever I know that when Christ is going to return, the most terrifying vision, it says that he is going to roll open the sky like a scroll. That is terrifying. Does this mean that we do not love God and have a relationship with him and, and boldly come into his throne. That's not what it says. There is a beginning point, though, of fear. 
someone goes into that throne room, what do they do? They fall on their face. Isaiah literally says, woe is to me, I'm ruined. Whenever they copied the Old Testament, the scrolls, you know what they did? They, they, what they, would, they would carefully take each page and they would write, as they would, the scribes, and that was their jobs for a living. They would sit there and write out the original text. And when they came to the word for God, that they would take and they would set aside and they would get, and they would clean what they were writing with and they would get another one in some instances and they would use the abbreviation YHWH for Yahweh. Tetragram is, is, is the actual term because there was such a holy fear of who God was that they would not actually write the word Yahweh because that was God's name. There was so much reverence. If you go now to Israel, you will find that a lot of times they still don't use the word Yahweh. They use Adonai. They, they substitute it with a diff, different word. There is a fear and a reverence for just exactly who God is. So that is the beginning point in verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there is an awe and there is a wonder and there is a place that positionally in our hearts that we have to put Christ. When we look at him, that is the beginning of knowledge. See, up until that point, it was just a good book of sayings. But when we put the worldview of who God was into context, this book is different. This book is different because it shows that to gain wisdom, there has to be a position and it has to start with humbling yourself before God. The culture we live in, that is a very difficult thing. I, I, I don't know if y'all have like a, a, a subdivision Facebook page. I don't know that, the joy that comes out of that page. And you see the way that people respond and act over just about anything. But the, the bare essential is this right here. No one wants to be told what to do. And no one wants to actually have their thoughts challenged. And here we're asking someone to submit themselves to a God that they may or may not think highly of. I believe with all my heart that if we would see God for who he was this morning and that we would lean into his presence that we would be able to gain the knowledge that this proverb is talking about. We would be able to gain in the strength of who he is. So that was the first part. There's three parts this morning, this introduction. So the second part is this, where we're gonna actually go into the teaching time. This is the father-son deal that we've got going on here, but this is just the example that it gives. The context can be applied to any. Let's read in verse seven. Here we find a father teaching a son. Hear my son, your father's instructions and do not for forsake your mother's teaching for they are a grace garland for your head and a penance for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason like Sheol 
Let us swallow them alive, the whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. So Solomon jumps right in here to this story. He doesn't waste any time. And the next thing you know, we, we're talking about murder. Um, it escalated very quickly. Theft, some sort of like group communism, I don't know. Um, it almost sounds like the way that in the 90s you would explain a gang. And what, what you're gonna find is, is that the point of this little saying right here is that we a lot of times are quick to run to people that we think and we can trust. But if we run with people that have bad intentions and we are also have a bad intention, that we're gonna find that greed will overtake us. It will take us much farther than we thought we should ever go. In verse 15 it says, my son, do not walk in the way of them. Hold back your foot from their paths for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but, the, but these men lie and wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy or unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. It's interesting here the best way that I know how to say exactly what it's saying here is that greedy people think that they are, they are taking money from people, but in reality, the greed has taken them. People think that doing these things won't catch up to them, and it just starts out simple, but here we learn this bit of wisdom that it is, it is a, snow, a snowball effect. It's one of those things that is going to take us much farther than, when, than we realize. It's going to bring us to the point of ruin. If our hearts, interesting enough, we're talking about the very root of greed. So you almost see like this total contrast that we should have the first section, an awe and a fear of the Lord. And then after that, it puts it against a situation where we would have greed and we would be living for ourselves. They're at odds with each other. Now the third part here, wisdom's gonna respond. And this is something where we almost have to go back to the eighth grade English class just for a second. So y'all work with me. Okay, so what you're gonna see is, is that wisdom is going to be personified. Okay, and for some of us that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I just wanna give you an example. What does that mean? Right? When you apply human characteristics to non-human things, you're personifying something. So this literary device, let's just give an example, right? It says, if you would say something like, love grabbed hold of him and wouldn't let go. See, love is depicted as having human arms and acting like a human. I use that as an example. So hopefully we're all on the same page. If not, when you read this, it's gonna be real strange. This is gonna happen time and time again when you see wisdom being personified. Here it's being personified as a woman. And then when you think about Proverbs 31, a lot of times we hear the sermon about moms and Mother's Day and things like that. What you're gonna see is, is that wisdom is literally being personified and there it's the actually the, the actual thing of a faithful woman. 
So you can see how there's this play about things that they highly respected. Here it was between a, a father and a son. They highly respected their mom. And so in this instance, she is the person that is being personified. So let's read now that we kind of got that clear. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffering and fools hate knowledge? Now, I love this. Why? Because it's actually got some sarcasm in it. I find myself to be a highly sarcastic person. It's not always best. It's not only always of God. And, I, and, and those things that I'm still working through, I'm still a, a person that is flawed. But I like the fact that the Bible has a, a sense of humor. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. One of the, the few times in the Old Testament that you see the spirit being poured out in this specific of a way. Usually the spirit comes upon you, but here he's literally just saying, I will pour out my spirit, just like in the New Testament. So if we turn, the Hebrew word here is shuv, just like in many times in the Old Testament when he would ask the people to turn from their sins, it's the same word here. If I turn, I will pour out my spirit on you. So God is literally saying, if you would withhold from these things and seek me, I will pour out all of who I am so that you're able to discern even more. Verse 24, because I have called and you have refused to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored my counsel and would have none, would have none of my reproof. This is where the, the Bible gets a little salty. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. You know, one of the best things that you can do when you're actually trying to communicate with a teenager is to use really ridiculous language. And between a father and a son, you can see when you want to get your point across, you can see that wisdom here, because you did not listen, she's not gonna listen. She's not gonna help. And she's literally going to mock you. If that doesn't speak to a 13-year-old, I don't know what does. Years ago, I was in the boat. My wife knows this story. We were in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was serving at a church there. And we did a, a youth weekend. And I, I never will forget exactly how this all unfolded. But we were there. And we were riding in a boat with teenagers. And it was a larger ski boat. And the, the, the tube was on the ski deck and the rope was all on the floor. And I'm turned around talking to people, no idea what's going on. Somebody else is driving the boat and we're just going. Well, all of a sudden the tube flew out of the boat and I still didn't know. And that rope that was all on the floor got tangled around my ankle. And it took them a while to figure out that we were actually going. And so it, the rope actually seared my ankle and I had to go and be rushed to the emergency room um, and it had broken in a few places, I had to get a skin graft, the whole deal. And so 
I had no idea that I was entangled in this rope because you're just, you're just unaware. Wisdom here is crying out. Not only in the fact that you need to pay attention to me, you need to positionally know where I'm at, but on top of that, that if you, if you do not do those things, these are what's gonna happen, it's gonna be destruction. And more than that, it's gonna be one of those I told you so situations to the point where wisdom is going to call out and it's not really pretty. Verse 28 says, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Would not have, would have, I'll try that again, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof Therefore, they shall eat the fruit on their way and have their fill on their own devices. For the simple are killed by the turning away and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. So what you see is that wisdom is responding exactly the things that, that, that were being called here. And we see five things real quick. Number one, we see that, that in this little part right here, in this third little, little rebuttal from wisdom, we see that wisdom is available to those who listen. We see that it brings renewal to the repentant. It brings judgment to the ignorant. We find that it's unavailable to the fool. And the last one is it brings security to the, to the believers. So why do I bring all this to you? I think that as, as we start the book of Proverbs and as we look at something very simple, there are some really great life lessons to be learned here. When we find ourselves trying to walk through this life and navigate so delicately, we're gonna find that wisdom comes from the Lord and we just learned that he will pour out his spirit so it's almost as if there is a connection between our position and posture before the Lord and how we're able to gain knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Interesting enough that the people here lived a totally different life, but yet they still were longing for the same thing. They were still trying to figure out how to navigate through this life that they made mistakes, they needed wisdom, that there was a lot of things that we did that were not the best. Some of them were harmful, some of them were damaging. And what you're gonna see is, it really is a heart issue. Let me give you just a couple of things to, to chew on this morning. Number one, the, be, the beginning point of hope for our lives is found in one word, and that is surrender. There has to be a moment when we come to grips with, with verse seven, and the fear of the Lord becomes our strength. And especially for sometimes for guys, we have a really hard time with that. We have a hard time accepting that anyone is gonna tell me what to do. This morning, I want you to know that at a point of surrender, I would pray first off and through salvation alone 
that for some of us we would find and we would start that relationship with Jesus, but then past that, that on a daily basis that we would learn to surrender to who he is and to his sovereignty. The fear of the Lord is all about a posture and humility of the heart. Second thing I want y'all to think about, the things that have really changed me this week just studying this. We see that greed, envy, and associating yourselves with people who desire these things are subject to ruin and destruction. We find that a lot of times the whole crux of this message this, this morning was about how greed and envy, they will overtake us. Business practices that we feel like sometimes are, are shady at best, but nobody will know, here the Lord wants to bring to the surface. It's never enough. And as we learn through this, this little hear my son saying this morning, it starts small. We get involved with the wrong people and it just becomes this huge thing. I think that I can identify with, with this this morning because I find myself going along sometimes with things that I think are not harmful, that are, are not gonna hurt anybody, but the reality is, is that they can and will bring judgment and heartache to my own life. Third thing is this, the Holy Spirit is equipped to give wisdom to discern and deliver us from self-destructing actions. That's a lot of words. But the Holy Spirit is able to give us what we need in the area of wisdom. This might not be the most seeker-sensitive, friendly message ever, and I'm gonna be really honest with you. It's what we need to hear. It needs to be known, the fact that whenever we seek wisdom, it's gotta start with a moment of surrender, but then it's gotta go and flow through a movement of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. He's gotta be active. The last thing is this. Ultimately, the fear of God will lead to a life of worship. This is worship, but it's not where it ends. It's where it begins. When we leave here, when we live our lives, whatever we do unto the glory of the Lord, we do it. It's worship. So if we, if we are, if we are in, in the workforce, it's worship. If we are a student, it's worship. If we have small children, we're taking care of them, it's worship. And in that, submitting yourself for not only the wisdom of, of how to handle situations, but an all leaning into his presence is gonna bring about a completeness, a completeness of the heart. My prayer is, is that we would be able to find through difficult times in our own lives Hope and joy, not because everything's gonna be great all the time, but because we know when we seek these things, we position ourselves before God, he's gonna give us what we need. He is going to be there to walk through with us. I've learned the hard way a lot of times in life. So this morning, 
We're about to take the communion. We're going to take communion this morning, and it's going to be, every time we take communion, once a quarter, I, I like to do it, we do it differently every time. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. I, I'm going to have an, a time of reflection and evaluation in our own lives. And maybe there's some areas that you have not submitted to him and his sovereign authority. Maybe you've been involved in things as the trappings of this lesson that Solomon's giving that have brought about more destruction in your lives. Been there. Submitting to a sovereign authority that he knows best, and I don't, is something that is a continual act of heart. So this morning, number one, is that we would examine ourselves who he is. Have you given up every area and submitted to him so that he can bring about wisdom in your own life? Next thing is this, is that a lot of times we think we know best. So there's the position. Maybe there are closets in our own lives that we have not given up to him in his wisdom. What do I mean by that? God, I, I wanna follow you. I will do whatever you take, whatever you ask. But this one area of my life, I'm gonna hang on to that. And maybe it's, maybe it is uh, about your job, or maybe it's about the person you're involved with, the opposite sex. I'd want there to be a time of self-evaluation where we look and we examine our own lives and open up every closet of our lives and say, God, I want you to come not only to bring wisdom to it, correction, but I surrender that to you as well. That's difficult. My senior year in high school, I went to camp. As most teenagers do, a lot of times they're involved in church. And I found the Bible that I had when I was in high school, and I looked at all the things that um, I wrote in it, which is pretty comical to say the least. And I found at the front this simple thing from camp. I took a picture of it. Couldn't read my handwriting, I'm not gonna lie. And it just simply said this, June the 8th, 1997, I'm old. God, today, I wanna follow you wherever you call me to go. I don't know where that is. Use me the way that you want me to be used. I surrender to you. I give you my hopes, my dreams, and ask that you would fill in the gaps for me. God's done that. God has provided more than I could have ever imagined. but I had to have a moment 
of surrender. So as we pray, and we have a time of self-reflection, I'm going to explain how this is going to work, is that this is about us. This is about the body, and there's something special that happens when we take communion, because we're doing it together, and that we all have one thing in common. We all come from different backgrounds, but we have one thing in, in common, is that we need Christ. And so when we partake of the, of the bread that was his body broken on a cross, he did it for us. And the juice, that his blood covers all. We remember, we remember the fact that we all need him. So as we pray, on your own, when you feel led to come up and, and get that juice and that bread, and you can go back to your seat and take it, you can take it as a family unit, you can just take it at the, at the altar, wherever you want to do it, this morning, we're not going to take it all together where we do the whole thing. We're going to do it individually because I think there needs to be a self-reflection of looking who God is. That there's surrender and there's a fear that he put all this somehow together, but he still loves us deeply and wants to, he wants to dwell with us. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture that he made it all work. And he loves us. So let's pray. God, I pray the Lord this morning, Lord, that we can be at a place of surrender. God, if there's, there's things in our lives that we're struggling through, I pray that this can be a place that we can just, we can just know you and we can walk and we can confess. God, I do pray, God, in your sovereignty this morning, God, that you would draw people to yourself. I pray if there's someone that doesn't know where they stand with you, they're just checking this whole thing out, I would pray that they would find me or find any of the leaders. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your body that was broken on a cross. We thank you for your, your blood that was spilled. God, it covers us through our failures. God, I pray that we would have a chance to know wisdom in this world because we fear you and we can walk with your Holy Spirit. God, this morning as we look inward, I pray that it would be a time, God, that we do business with you. We look to you. God, we'd be changed by you. We'd be convicted by you. Not because of anything in us but because of you, you did all the work on the cross. God, this morning as we examine our own lives now, I pray as a church, God, that you would strengthen us, you would bind us together in unity. God, that we could find our clarity from you. For God, we love you. And we praise your name.
God, now give us time to think and examine and then come to the table of the Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.